Before we start today's show, I want to invite you to join my community of SaaS founders, agency owners, and others who are sharing tips, tricks, strategies, and tactics for creating successful cold outreach campaigns. It's a free group on Facebook called Cold Outreach Mastery, and you can get there by heading over to morgandwilliams.com slash community. And if Facebook isn't your thing, but you still want valuable cold outreach advice, head on over to morgandwilliams.com slash newsletter and put in your best email to get first in line for valuable resources that I share on how you can fill your calendar with sales meetings and your pipeline with opportunities. Now, let's start today's show. The reason I reached out to my next guest is because what he's doing now is where I believe the future of outbound sales and marketing is headed. What I'm referring to specifically is community building, conversational selling, and the creation and selling of micro products. I'm seeing a shift in the market from large online platforms to smaller niche communities. Think Facebook groups, Slack channels, and Discord servers. I'm also seeing a shift towards messaging apps like Facebook Messenger, Telegram, WhatsApp, and even good old-fashioned text messaging. More sales opportunities and conversations are being found and happening in these communities and on these apps. B2B enterprises simply can't ignore this shift that is happening, which brings us to today. In this interview, we'll take a look at how this serial founder is using community building and conversational selling to create and sell micro SaaS products to rabid customers. You'll wanna stick around for this one. I'll see you on the other side. What if you knew exactly how to use cold email, LinkedIn, the phone, and other sales channels to get new meetings and customers for your B2B product or service? Morgan Williams is an enterprise sales rep that's obsessed with cold outreach. If you're sick and tired of fluff, theory, and general advice on how to sell to cold prospects from people who haven't sold anything in the past 20 years and instead want detailed, tactical, step-by-step instruction, this is the podcast for you. Each week, he'll interview salespeople, consultants, and entrepreneurs about actual outbound sales campaigns they've run with real numbers and results. Each conversation will be a deep dive into deconstructing a specific campaign's results, as well as the strategy behind it. You'll get the opportunity to peek behind the curtain and see what's actually working now in cold outreach. Welcome Welcome to to Outbound Outbound Metrics. Todd Larson is the owner of a growing portfolio of micro SaaS companies. He has a systematic approach to researching niche audiences, catering SaaS products directly to his audience's needs, and rapidly releasing a product to generate immediate sales. Some of his products include getflipptool.com, subself.io, and noappstorefees.com. Todd, it's a pleasure to have you on. Are you ready to dive in? Thanks, Morgan. I am. Awesome. So I think it would be really beneficial to know, where did you get your start in your career and how did that lead you into this kind of micro SaaS world? Yeah, so I started in advertising and then I moved into product work at Groupon when Groupon was really that rocket ship of the fastest growing company of all time. It still is to this day is the fastest company to reach unicorn status. And so I got to see some of that craziness uh, unfold And as I saw that scale, I realized I wanted to start from something more base level and from scratch. And so I ventured into the startup world and that's where I moved over to Digit as the first employee there. And so I worked with the founder there, Ethan Block, to grow from 
very little humble beginnings. You know, we had 10, less than 10 customers all the way up to when I left, we were at 4 million MRR. So seeing that full growth process from a traditional like VC backed company to a mass market like B2C play. So I saw that and I saw how long it took to get to kind of the revenue goals that we had. And so when I left Digit, I wanted to scratch my own niche and just build SaaS really and just start from scratch all over again. And so I took a totally different approach. And this was instead of building like a mass market B2C approach, I decided to find specific niche audiences and markets that would have very targeted needs. And so it was perfect for me as a solo founder because I could get my arms around this smaller market and really build it out from my own skill set and what I had as an individual and not have to worry about this massive thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's a great way to start and scale with this smaller approach. So that's where the micro comes into play. It's a SaaS that is going to serve one specific market with a smaller set of needs instead of the kind of junk drawer approach of a lot of B2C products. Sure. Sure. What are like the biggest differences you notice between you know, working for a tech company like Groupon and then working at Digit versus, you know, making these more niche products for small audiences? Yeah. You know, I think, again, like it comes down to what you need to get started, the barrier to entry, and then what you need to scale. And I think the bigger the product, the bigger the market, the more assistance you're going to need to make that play. And so I really got into sort of the micro entrepreneur solo entrepreneur, bootstrapped entrepreneur, where I wouldn't need a lot of the resources to get started. And that's kind of the benefit to this approach that you don't need all of the resources. Like I don't need to sit around and wait for a co-founder. I can tackle this problem as a solo founder. And I can, in fact, tackle many of these problems and have a portfolio of these micro SaaS that I can hedge, hedge my bets. And so it's a portfolio of small bets. Awesome. So it's really this market size kind of determines how many resources you're going to need to attack it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so people are doing this already in other spaces in the blogging space. They have a whole portfolio of blog properties that they're monetizing. Sure. The notion of portfolio of small bets. I want to say that was actually Daniel Vassilo on Twitter, D Vassilo. I think he's running product at Gumroad now he kind of coined that term of just making, you know, serving these smaller niches and being able to have a lot of these in your stable to help a lot of people on a broad Mm -hmm. scale, but not all your eggs in one basket. Sure. Sure. So this process you have, this audience marketing process, like Mm -hmm. let's uh, first go in at a high level on what's involved and then we can kind of go into each one. So what does that look like? So the first thing is really discovering what it is, what market or audience you want to go after. And so the big thing is you're looking for an audience of buyers, right? So you're not just looking for any old market or audience. There's lots of gatherings of people online. And really, I should prefix all this with online community, online groups. I think when you're talking about real world stuff and events. That's a wholly, totally separate thing. But so these are online gatherings of people and not all groups and communities are going to be equal. So like 4chan, for example, if you're familiar with the 4chan community, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a deep forum of lots of things. And that's a, a market or an audience that I wouldn't necessarily go after. You know, that's not going to be as valuable as 
a paid community of quilting fanatics. I'm just mm-hmm. like freestyling off of sure. some niche, but that's one example. So you want to find your niche. And I think what's also cool about audience marketing that's really relevant to where we're at, like just as a tech economy is we had the gig economy prior to this. You know, there's been lots of blog posts sure. and articles about the gig economy. So as I understand it, the next wave is the passion economy. And that's how people are able to monetize their passion. And in some ways, this very podcast is an extension of this. You know, you're able to take a passion of yours, sure. marketing, outbound methods, and then talk about that and build a business around it. And so this approach allows you to tap into these different passionate niches and actually build an economy around it for yourself. And so you're able to kind of monetize these people's passions, but not in just a greedy way, you're helping them with what they need. Awesome. So finding this market of people who have demonstrated that they are buyers. I read um, a post you had in your Facebook group last week about kind of like piggybacking off of an existing product or software, I believe yeah. you, were, you were mentioning like um, people who were users of Webflow, right? They're using mm-hmm. a paid service. They've demonstrated that they're using this service. They're paying. So creating something alongside that, that delivers some value. Uh, yes. Be beneficial. Yeah. I think there's two ways to approach audience marketing. There's kind of the build or buy, so to speak. So you can build your own audience from scratch, which is for a lot of people, like really daunting and not something they want to endeavor on. Like that's going to yeah. be, going to take a while, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah. oh my God, build an audience. You know, I'm not an influencer. So there's this cheat code and that is to bolt onto an existing audience. And that's exactly what you just described. Like don't take the time to build one from scratch. You can do that maybe just organically through your process naturally, but like, don't make that a blocker to getting started. Like if you want to get into audience marketing, you just need to find an existing audience to bolt onto in the way that you highlighted, like with with Webflow, like they're an already existing audience that I found. I knew they're paying for Webflow as a product and I knew that they would be willing to pay for other products that fit the gaps that they had. And so it's just a matter of finding the gaps in that audience so that I could help them with it. Awesome. So we're researching, trying to find buyers. Anything else happening in that research phase? Yeah. So I'm building trust as well. I'm in the community and engaging with the community. It's not just like I'm a weird, like creepy wallflower, you know, I'm like, I'm talking with the community. And I think that's going to be super helpful when the time comes to actually like launch and, and call to action from your audience. So if you've, you've become a familiar face in the space, you've built up that credibility and that equity in the, in the community. So it'll be easier for you to say like, Hey, I've got this cool thing, like check it out. Okay, cool. So you're in the community doing research, building trust. Um, when do we move on to the next step? And what So at that point, you've kind of decided you're looking for patterns at that point. What are the big pains, mm-hmm. problems they have, pain points, desires? What do they want to do? Not just like, what are they currently struggling with, but what would they aspire to do? And then just seeing huge complaints about the current offerings and you know what, what they can't do. So you're really just doing pattern recognition what are you seeing? And then at that point, you can, as you're letting this marinate, you know, over the course of days to weeks, like you should be able to burn through this process very, fairly quickly. If you're paying attention, you're going to start to see patterns that clearly emerge. And then that becomes your opportunity and your basis for your market viable pitch. So that's where you kind of make this offer to gauge this interest and attention 
from the market. Like, are they interested in what I think they're interested in? And it's just a line of copy. You're literally copywriting at this stage. You don't need to be technical. You just need to be able to get ex people excited about words on a page about a problem you can solve. Awesome. So you're then putting this in this community, this, mm -hmm. I assume putting this, this copy in there. Um, yeah. What does something like that look like? Or, or what is that? How's that structured? A lot of it's like copywriting 101. Like I've spent a lot of time just like studying, you know, from a, some of the greats. And so it's like, there is a formula to it, but it's essentially, you know, you want to get people's attention. You want to quickly frame the problem and the pain that they have so that they're engaged with, you know, the post you're writing. And then you want to give a little bit of clarity to what it is you're doing, you know, like behind the scenes a little bit, like how you're doing it, right. You need to give some credibility to like what you're doing. And then you need to have some sort of call to action in the pitch itself. And so in this case, it's like, it's not enough to be like people thinking it's cool or it's, right. you know, you don't want people like, oh, that's cool. Like there's a great book that I always recommend to people that since it was recommended to me was hugely valuable. It's called the mom test by Rob mm -hmm. Fitzgerald, I believe. Okay. And it's all about like, how do you ask questions from your users and market, whatever you want to call them that are, the questions are so good that even your mom can't lie to you. Like, you know, your mom wants the best from you. You know, she's going to encourage you like, oh, I love your SaaS idea. This is great. This is so cool. A lot of people will give you that kind of feedback. And so the mom test gets to those questions. And so you want to use some of those tactics out of that in your post to really make sure that people are expressing real interest, genuine interest in what you're offering. And this could be anything. It could be training. It doesn't necessarily have to be SaaS, you know, so it's, it could be education, it can be content of any kind that aims to address the problem that this market has based on your research. How do you know when you found a winner with that idea? You're looking for some like baseline of engagement. Like this is, again, it comes down to like what you're going to need to know what the groups like are people in this group. So if we take my Webflow example, like there's 10,000 people in there and in the way that I know, you know, how the Facebook algorithm works, the average post gets exposed to like 10% of the group. And so mm. you're getting very small actual exposure to your individual posts, but that post got like 200 comments, like actual comments in the engagement of, you know, likes and stuff where it was even higher. And so that, when I see those numbers laid out, that's something that I really like. And like, that's got a lot of traction on just a single post. And so that's something I double down on. So it's hard to say a specific metric. You really need to like look at the lay of the land for the, for the audience. It's kind of like, you know, when you see it, if you're getting a yeah. lot of engagement, hundreds of comments, things like that. Exactly. Okay. And sometimes like, I just got really good with this one. It was like really good engagement right away. Sometimes like you get a little excitement. Maybe you want to dip the toes again and another sort of offer just to make sure it wasn't a fluke and yeah. you start to see more of the audience exposed to it. So it's not always like a one shot thing. It really depends on where's your audience. Is it Facebook? Is it Twitter? Is it Reddit? Is it a private community discord? You know, there's like so many places to find these communities. Um, mm -hmm. It's not all just Facebook groups. Cool. And, and this market viable pitch, like what's an example of something you've offered in the past? That. The very first time I did this, like methodically disciplined was with an app for called flip tool. So get flip tool uh, mm -hmm. is the link you mentioned. And so flip tool is like a, a tool for people who do retail arbitrage and online arbitrage. So they buy things, essentially buying toys low and then selling re reselling high sure. on like eBay and whatever, just classic arbitrage. 
So it's a tool specifically for that. So in this case, the MVP was a little demo video of me sort of talking through, not even a prototype, like just me talking over Loom, like, hey, check this out. It was like really rough, like stills of really just illustrating the patterns that I had identified in their group in their community and people went nuts on the tweet. Like I can share the, the tweet in the comments sure. if it's helpful. And so you, that sort of traction then gives me the ammo and the justification to say, I'm going to spend three weeks sprinting on an MVP, an actual functioning market viable product. I think that's an important thing. It's not a minimum viable product. It's a market viable product because you've done this market due diligence. So it makes it really easy to justify that when you've seen that kind of traction. Gotcha. So moving to this market viable product, how are you mm-hmm. creating that? So before the pitch and the product, there's the actual prototype. And so depending on the situation, it may make sense to skip, you know, just the copywritten textual offer and mm-hmm. pitch to move straight into the prototype. So it really kind of depends, but there is potentially the step phase of, of the prototype. But once you get into the product phase, you're building the prototype that you've already got traction on. And so you may, once you've built that prototype and you've shared that with the list that you've sort of built out from your initial pitch that you made, you've got people that raised their hand and said, I'm interested in this. You have that list now for user research and you can tap them. I do Zoom calls with them, send them stuff over messengers, like whatever you need to do to get the right fidelity of feedback that's helpful. But you have those people that then you can get their direct feedback on your prototype and the product itself. And I think at this point, the other thing I should call is before you get into the product is you really want to focus on the intellectual property of your offer. Like not the commodity code, like login, account management, all this stuff that doesn't matter. It's a commodity. Like what are the the five screens that are most unique to your unique selling proposition, you know, that you're going to be selling? Like what makes your offer different from everything else? And so that's the thing to focus on. And so Again, whatever you can do with the MVP to prioritize that with the actual product, don't build the commodity. Focus on the intellectual property, the stuff, the secret sauce. Build that first. Get that in front of the people on your list, your you know, prospective customers, and get that feedback early. You know, the, the biggest difference of this is like you've gone to market from the first day. You know, you've gone to market first and you've built second. So You can always go back to the market as you're building to get that real-time like feedback loop. Got it. And what are you using to build? Depends on the needs, but generally the Google Cloud Platform Firebase system is is Mm. killer. So like the language I'm using JavaScript because it's one language, full stack, it's easy to run, the ecosystem is rich. There's a thousand reasons I could go on why that stack is good. But a big part of the secret sauce allows me to launch this so quickly, I think, is the offering that Firebase has right now. It's killer. It allows you to do a serverless architecture so you can incrementally build your MVP. You can replace things with no code or you can upgrade no code pieces as serverless functions as you need to. It just gives you a really nice way to step into like a scalable product from the MVP without having to like trash it all and start over. And somebody's MVP is just like trash and mm-hmm. they have to start over. And so this allows you to not have to do that. What do you suggest for someone who doesn't know how to code? 
So yeah, you're going to need to either build or buy, I think at some point, but the beauty of it is, is you've built up an asset as a non-technical person along this way through traction and validation from the market. So that if it does come down to that, you're like, I'm not going to have the time to teach myself to code. My option is either to partner with someone who is interested or find an investor or invest my own hard-earned money in in paying someone to build it. But it's way easier to either invest your own money and justify that when you've seen, you really believe at this point because the market believes in, in your idea. You're not just like firing off into the dark and hoping it works. Mm-hmm. And it's also easier to get a partner, like a technical co-founder or an investor when you have this traction. It destroys a pitch deck. Like you mm-hmm. could go into it like, oh, here's a pitch deck, you know, but if you have this market traction and this wait list and all this stuff, that's way more powerful and, and more valuable than just a pitch deck. And so that's a little bit less applicable, I think, because in general, we're talking micro SaaS, smaller niche, smaller market cap. So mm-hmm. investors are probably not as interested anyway, but you're going to get people interested if they see the action you've taken, even as a non-technical person to build that market traction. Gotcha. Is there like a place, like, can I realistically go on Fiverr and spend a couple grand and have someone build something for me? Like just what can someone do to get something built? You can, but you run the risk of like, you don't have anyone giving that technical guidance on the high level. So it's more likely going to need to get thrown away once you hit your goal of whatever that MVP is going to do. And so I'd much rather say like, it's a, you know, this isn't like a waterfall approach. This is 2020. It's fully agile. And so it's like, we're iterating from, Mm copywriting all the way through to scalable SaaS and we're not throwing away anything. Mm-hmm. And that's really like what my approach is, is aiming to tackle. And you're not probably going to get that. You're going to get incredibly lucky if you get that from Fiverr. Yeah. So <laughs> but what I think you can do is you can find someone to at least lay out the technical plan and then you're just hiring the execution of that. There's gotcha. less strategy and I'd say it's way less risky to take that approach. And Again, the serverless architecture that I advocate for this system allows you to just plug in a single freelancer on a single function. Like you write this function, you write that function versus having to bring in a whole freelancer team or one freelancer to build a monolith that is Mm -hmm. kind of risky to do. Sure, sure. Okay. You're creating this market viable product, going back to the market, iterating, the MVP is now complete. Yep. Where, where do you go from here? So now there's really like three phases. I think of it, the starting phase, the selling phase and the scaling phase. So the starting phase is like getting to MVP. And then the selling phase is like, you're getting some actual revenue established. You're tapping into the wait list that you built in the starting phase and you're actually cashing that in and you're getting some revenue subtraction. That's the selling phase. Now, once you've proven that, like people are buying this, we have revenue. Now let's scale it. At that point, I've got different sets of metrics kind of to focus on at each one of those phases. But generally speaking, you're going to lock down your funnel, make sure that your like conversion funnel is good before you focus on acquisition. And acquisition is where you're just like turning the dial on like more traffic means more recurring revenue. And so like, that's like a whole game in and of itself, but you don't want to do that until you've really locked down like retention, activation, making sure people are loving it, you know, once they're in the product, Mm -hmm. because 
when you focus on acquisition in the scaling phase, it gets expensive quickly. And so you want to make sure you don't have a leaky bucket. Sure. What are um, your kind of go-to ways for acquiring new customers? Well, if we're talking about the audience marketing approach, the beauty of it is it's already built in. And so you have the opportunity to actually, you're going to grow within the market. We call it the TAM, the total addressable market. What is the TAM of your niche? That's the particular community you've started with. Then you can say like, what are the different offshoots of this community? Then you can start to conquer those different offshoots. Like, oh, there's a similar group over here. There's a similar group over here. And then the cool thing is you can just tailor your messaging slightly, if, if at all, to that particular offshoot community mm-hmm. and then pull them in in the same way. So you're just tweaking what you've already done and had success in the other groups. And so then you can, can conquer different platforms. And then you can start to think, how do you grow, not just having more TAMs or more t- total addressable markets, but how can you grow the TAM itself? How can you get more people into this niche? And that's like kind of a whole other game to play. Like in the flipping space, the people that deal with flip tool, like arbitrage, like we can conquer that market, but how do we get more people into flipping itself? That's mm-hmm. where you have the ability to grow the TAM. And there's not a lot of opportunities where you can actually grow the TAM itself. Usually that's like a fixed thing. Like the total addressable market is a known quantity. And we're saying like, by starting with a niche, we can actually start there and then grow out the TAM from there as we scale. Gotcha. Retention. You mentioned like, you don't want to start filling up a linky bucket. What are Mm -hmm. some points to remember about retention? Like locking your funnel? Yeah. I mean, I think you want to look into connecting, like your product is the value, right? You provide a value. And so you want to look into connecting the value to the customer as fast as possible, like help them unlock the value. Like Facebook had their, there's sort of an aha feature, like aha moment, like on Facebook is supposedly like once I think it's once you hit seven friends, you're sort of locked in and like, you're going to be on the platform. So it's like, what are the behaviors you need to do on your product to get them locked in, bought in, fully seeing the value of your product? And so it's like, what are the five actions they need to do? It's the onboarding sequence, essentially. Um, Those are the things you need to focus on that people are getting to the value, seeing the value and then sticking around. So, you know, maintaining that value over time. Gotcha. For the products you've worked on, I'm curious to know like um, what results you've gotten using this process with some of your products. So I'd love to discuss. Yeah. So the first one I did, you know, since leaving digit where I really was methodical about the process um, to put it in place was with, with flip tool. And that was where it was with the arbitrage. I keep coming back to that because it was a really nice success story of like, you know, the time I put into the research to launching within a month and then hitting 1k MRR within the month of launching. So all in, you know, that was like kind of a story of three months mm-hmm. and I hit 1k MRR. So that's not like going to change your life. Uh, you know, it doesn't get me wrong, but like those are fast results. Sure. And then you grow it from there and then you start stacking multiples of those. So that's just one SaaS. And you have to remember you're building a portfolio potentially if that's something you desire. And so you can have lots of these. And so it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> awesome. Any more you'd like to mention? No, I mean, I, I think like I've got this method down for myself. And, you know, the biggest thing now is like, I'm excited by the idea of helping others 
do the same and making it repeatable. And so I'm launching a coaching product. I've got people that I coach at the higher, more scale levels. Mm -hmm. But now I want to say like everyone can do this, even as non-technical people get started. And so I'm launching a coaching product around that and helping people get started. And so that's something I'm excited about, just scaling this concept more broadly. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Anything we didn't cover that is important in this? The biggest thing is like, I know we say it's research and development, but it needs to be research then development. So we're all builders. A lot of us are builders at heart. I love to code. In the end, I think we're all builders. If we're listening to this podcast, we like to build things, build businesses, build leads, build pipelines. And so it's like, don't get into the building right away. That's like the story. I think like start with the research before you get into the development. It's well worth that upfront cost. Awesome. Where can uh, people find you if they're interested in working with you? Yeah. Uh, salesandsoftware.com would be the place to check it out. I've got some things I talk about here and then I've got my Facebook group that I'll send it to you if you go to salesandsoftware.com. But uh, I share a lot of this stuff in my Facebook group, Tech Growth for Marketers. Tech Growth for Marketers fit on Facebook and salesandsoftware.com. Todd, pleasure chatting with you today. Likewise, Morgan. Thank you. All right. You have a good one. You too. Bye. Bye. -bye. It's pretty fascinating to see how Todd is taking an idea from the whiteboard to a working business model with subscription customers. Anyone who's selling something should pay close attention to the shifts happening in the market and figure out ways to integrate these trends into their game. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening.